Welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm Seth Williams. And I'm Brendan Ward. And we're here to discuss all things local real estate, legal, title, market, and really anything else we can come up with. So stick with us on this journey as we talk about The Word. Welcome to the podcast today, guys. We appreciate you guys coming on. Um, and if you don't mind, let's just let's just kick us off with a little bit of intro and kind of, I know we just spent some time offline talking a little bit about transportation and zoning and all that type of stuff. So we're super excited to have you guys on today. So if you don't mind, you want to Want to kick us off? Yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, I'm Justin Holmes. I work at Zipcar. I lead uh, marketing and public policy there. I've been there about eight years awesome. uh, or so, and it's uh, I'm thrilled to be here with you today. We appreciate you joining us. What brought you to Zipcar? Oh, gosh. I spent most of my career working in public sector, so I worked for two great mayors of Boston, awesome. Mayor Menino and Mayor Walsh. And not a political answer at all. Not a political <laughs> answer at all. Um, one who is now Secretary of Labor, um, who was a great guy. And um, I really wanted to explore private sector, was interested in transportation for sure, and wanted to work for a company that did well and good at the same time. Yeah, uh, cool. So I found a mission-driven company like Zipcar. And uh, been there ever since. Plugging away. Love it. Very cool. And you, you said earlier you live in Southie. I do, yes. So you are probably all about unique forms of transportation. I certainly am. I look out at Broadway T-Station every day. Very nice. Love it. Julia? Sure. I'm Julia Wallers, and currently I am the Boston Program Manager for ITDP. And that stands for the Institute for Transportation and Development Policy. It's a mouthful. We're actually a global NGO, nonprofit. Um, we work in eight countries around the world on sustainable oh. and equitable transportation mobility solutions. In the U.S., we're in Boston and L.A., and I run the Boston program. We've been in Boston about 10 years, working almost explicitly on exploring opportunities for bus rapid transit and reimagining how streets function to prioritize buses and the people who ride them. And we approach that from both an equity and a sustainability perspective. I work with the T, with the state, and with municipalities, and it's a lot of fun. We've made a lot of headway, and that's currently what I do. But I also am on the planning board in Winthrop. I'm the former chair of the Transportation Advisory Committee, founder of Bike Winthrop, bunch of stuff with kids, run a Girl Scout troop. God, I'm yeah. tired listening. <laughs> New mom, oh, how do you do that? Livable all? Streets Alliance is also my my other big uh, nice. title. I'm the chair, uh, board chair for that organization, which works more regionally on uh, transportation and social justice issues. Did and not know that. That's a great group. Yeah, yeah, we're all over the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. urban planner by trade, Tufts. I, I also it. have to say, I love that you snuck in making a lot of headway. That was a fantastic <laughs> transportation. <laughs> I program. actually didn't even mean to do that. It's just <laughs> such a part of my vernacular. <laughs> like frequencies funny. and yeah. And, and uh, well, wasn't the, Guster big at Tufts? Yes. 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 Were you a big Not Guster when I was fan? there. Oh, you're too no. young for Guster. Well, no, I'm actually from California, so. I, I don't even know what you guys are talking about. It's a band. You don't know Guster? Oh they phased out. I mean, they, they had no. made music recently. Yeah, but they sure have. They were... Like my husband grew up here and he grew up loving Guster, like okay. in college, yeah. went to Boston College. Yeah. Could change the subject from Guster? <laughs> what is what type of music does Guster have? Like college music. Yeah. It would be like so. a cross between like Dave Matthews and yeah. um Who's Dave Matthews? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's like Old the early days. Like, I'm show. out of here. Yeah. No, fun fact, I know nothing about like most bands, movies. I, I don't know. It's very weird. So if you said it, this is my favorite movie of all time and you gave me your top three or four, I don't think I would. I'd probably more than likely have not seen at least half of them. <laughs> it's very weird. You're too busy out looking for real estate. Yeah. That's right. I actually just watched Pocahontas for the first time oh. like this week. What? 
I don't think I've ever yeah. seen that, but no. this came out in '95. I'm pretty sure. Oops, must I can see how you missed that. Must one, have missed it. If you have kids, then you get to watch yeah, that yeah, all right, again. So yeah. I'm a, I'm like deep in the rabbit hole of like the seventh Pocahontas yeah. right now. It's really interesting. Oh, I mean, there's more than there's one. There's so many. Wow, Pocahontas oh. goes everywhere. It's like the Real oh. Housewives. <laughs> yeah, but but animated <laughs> oh. for children. It's just the gift that keeps giving. See, this is what happens. <laughs> yeah. we, we were just in intros. Now I want to talk about the oh, Lion King and the Lion Guard oh, and yeah. all these right? other shows. And like. We went from intros to Pocahontas. Know, can we talk about minutes. Disney? <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Um, and so unbeknownst to us, you guys uh, know each other. We do. And so a small little yeah, the, transportation the world. Mobility in world in Boston is pretty small, actually. Once you're like in, you're in and you meet everybody. Yeah. <laughs> So we've spent some time either talking, complaining, or mostly making, complaining, making fun of um, frivolous spending in government um, recently. I think, and we spent a little I, bit. Of time. I didn't make fun of frivolous spending in government because <laughs> government spending is not frivolous. Well, you complained about the green line extension. The green line extension was a waste of money, but was, other than that, there were some issues there. Yeah, <laughs> water transportation is a lot cheaper and a lot easier to start. That's my only point. How do, how do we feel about the Winthrop Ferry? Uh, we love the Winthrop Ferry. Julia, thoughts? Yeah, I wish that were, it's like a, I wish there was an easy answer to that. I, water transportation is critical for all seaside communities, but for a small community to own and operate their own ferry is Oh, no, the state should not, do it for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And regionalism is yeah. what we need. So the Winthrop Ferry, we're lucky to have a vessel, but we're not capable of operating and maintaining yeah. nor should we no yeah. towns do this there's one other i think one or two other municipalities that own and operate their own ferry and they are islands in washington mm. state yeah it just but no one wants to live on an island in washington state <laughs> i mean at least you own unless you're like your a tech, ferry, yeah, right? unless you're like I mean, own Win oracle winthrop feels like an island sometimes and we sometimes yeah. we are in storms actually but yeah, true, um, we're true. actually part of the metro inner core region and we need robust transportation yeah. otherwise we're horribly isolated which we are anyway but having that water transit is is a critical part of our do res you, our resilient future do you think we'll get rid of maintaining and operating the ferry in the near future? Um, I don't. I think we have legislators who understand the value of this now. Senator Edwards and Rep Turco are both uh, pretty big. I'm not, I can't speak as much for Turco, but um, ferry proponents, but of building that into the region, to a regional water transportation yeah. solution and not and sort of getting the town out of the operations business. Um, yeah. Being a transit authority, which yeah. no, town shouldn't. There's been a lot of talk about it potentially going to the MBTA. Yes, that's, yeah. that would be fantastic. Yeah. And not just, you know, Winthrop, the Winthrop Quincy connection is yeah. kind of strange. I think, why does it make any sense? Like, well, it's, it's because of funding and yeah, cooperation funny. and municipality wanting to step up to the plate and share that service. And we just continue on with that. But yeah, it's a huge asset to the community. But yeah. the numbers, the dollars and cents are don't quite work under the current model. And I yeah. think everyone is in agreement with that, at least in the leadership sector right now yeah. and are looking for innovative solutions to make it more regional because regionalism is how transportation works. It's how cities work. How did you get involved in transportation at the level that you're involved in? I always like to say about transportation and I'm definitely echoing our former secretary in transportation when I say I like transportation not for what it is, but for what it does. Um, most people don't say, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to be a transportation planner. You know, it's, I don't really care about trains and buses and right. like the, the mechanics of it, but I care about it because it shapes people's lives. Sure. And it's a huge determinant of so many other outcomes, including our health, including our welfare, including the environment and our economy, housing, all of these things 
don't do well and can't thrive unless we have a functioning transportation system. And for that to really happen, it needs to work for everyone, which means equity needs to be an underpinning. Mm -hmm. And the current system we have is so out of whack and so not in balance with what works for most people. A lot of people, you know, we're a car centric community and our infrastructure reflects that. My whole life, I've been someone who loves to walk and bike. And I grew up in Northern California where we didn't have transit. It wasn't really an option. Sure. I mean, in college, there were buses and I'd always tried to take the bus and walk and bike. It was mostly for environmental reasons. I was like, I don't want to pollute and I'm trying to be green. But then as I I started to realize the the comprehensiveness of transportation, not just about that. It's literally, you know, can someone spend more time with their family? Are they able to get the food that they need? Mm -hmm. Um, Is there going to be soul crushing congestion? Do we have options? Mostly it's, it's so much about options and how we've built this system that is almost entirely revolved around one mode is exclusive and inequitable and wildly unsustainable. So, so Justin, I know that, that your background was, was political. And That's when right. you started at Zipcar, you were in more of a political role mm-hmm. and not necessarily an expert in alternate transportation, That's transportation right. technology, right? Cause mm-hmm. Zipcar is more than a transportation company. It's a technology company really at its root. Mm-hmm. So as you've been there, how have your views and how has your, understanding of alternate forms of transportation sort of evolved? I think I would say not only have my views evolved, but the world has evolved an awful lot. Zipcar, if you don't know, was founded in the year 2000. And those of us well, of a certain age might 2000. remember Robin Chase. Robin Chase, yeah. who was our co-founder, uh, the two women entrepreneurs in Cambridge actually founded our company. And that was at a time when Y2K was a thing right. mm-hmm. for those right. of us that were around. Remember, that was seven <laughs> years before the iPhone was invented. So think about what a different world yeah. it was there. And even from the time that I joined Zipcar eight years ago, Uber had yet to become a verb, right? Um, yeah. And so the world of transportation options has changed dramatically. We've always been very fortunate to have the backbone, especially in a place like Boston here, of good transit, of mm-hmm. bus infrastructure. So folks that choose not to own a car or who can't afford one have had access to that for a very long time, which is great. But it's almost like an accordion of transportation options really open for people. Zipcar, fortunately, was one of the early movers in the space. But now there are so many options, whether it's bike share or ride hail or in some markets, scooters, right? Yeah. It really helps solve for different fractions of use cases that you know, back then in 2000, it was really just, I rely only on the train and maybe I can walk, or maybe I'm one of those people, crazy people at the time who bike, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And now less less think, crazy now. But and yeah. now we think so 22 funny, years right? from now, right? Like yeah. bike infrastructure is a thing. And, yeah. you know, people like me uh, bike uh, to work and walk to work. You know, when I joined Zipcar, it was a different time and a different climate. And, you know, for me, understanding what transportation meant, you know, transportation was always important to me personally. My, my grandmother never learned how to drive. And so she had to rely on the bus. And as a kid, she took me on the train. And so I yeah. got to appreciate. And you grew like up in the city, right? Yeah. I grew up in Dorchester. And so I had some firsthand experience on knowing what it's like to navigate a city, navigate an area without uh, owning a car. And so I had some appreciation for that when I joined Zipcar, but as I got to know our members, as I got to know our use cases, as I saw technology evolve, now appreciate that transportation is this very complex ecosystem. And as Julia said, you know, I think it um, it is an enabler for people to do all sorts of other things. You know, you said it very well. Like, I don't like transportation for what it is, but what it does, right? Uh, and it's I think that's to so exactly many ends. right. I wouldn't have guessed that the company was that old. You know, especially in this time when when women entrepreneurs mm-hmm. are 
you know, sort of something that we're talking about more. I don't think you hear a lot of that history of, of how Zipcar started. Yeah, that's right. right? Yeah, if you read some of the early case studies, it was really a challenge then to raise capital. As, as two women, right? As two, well, not only two women, but for a concept that was so unique, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ride Zipcar, sharing. Zipcar did not invent car sharing. Car sharing had existed in Europe for a very long time. But, mm. you know, in America, as you all know, as we all know, we live in a very car-centric world. And so these two women, approaching funding saying, hey, we envision this world where not everyone needs to own a car and you can just share one. They, you know, it wasn't called, there was no sharing, the sharing economy, economy industry. Thing, yeah. It was called crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like most great ideas. That's right. Yeah, beginning. Yeah. yeah. And so it took a lot <laughs> of vision. They laugh oh, at you. Yeah. Totally. It took a lot of vision, a lot of persistence. They had some early challenges raising capital, but again, we're a better company. We're a better organization for it. And now looking back, you know, what great visionaries they were. Yeah, very interesting. Right. And, and to this day, you know, Robin Chase is involved deeply in um, micromobility and solutions for, she calls it, she was wanting to call, I think, like the, the freedom approach that by building cities where driving is the only convenient option, we're shackling ourselves to one option. And that's not freedom. Mm-hmm. That a free country, we should have so many ways to choose to move through our community and to access our daily needs, not just one person in this one massive piece of machinery that's really expensive, takes up a lot of space, is not efficient for a city and yep. requires no. all this space to park it and store it. And is disastrous you know, to the it? environment. Well, right, and for our health, all these things. So let's just like pick, unpack that a little bit and what are the other ways we could do it? Well, how does our infrastructure need to shift in order to accommodate that? And in doing that, we hit some hot button issues like bike lanes. You know, we're trying <laughs> oh, to carve we're gonna out get that there. space. Yeah, I'm we're saying gonna it's going to be peppered yeah. in everywhere because yeah. it comes out, it's not just bikes, it's also for walking, it's also for That's taking right. a bus, taking a train, a scooter, a stroller, a wheelchair. A water ferry. A water ferry, exactly. A kayak, who knows? Yeah. You know, we should have Kayak choices. sharing, we should That's have right. kayak and sharing. And Zipcar was sort of at the forefront of that mentality. Is there Zipiac? Yeah. Not yet. Zipiac. Not I yet. love that. I think, you take, I think it's... Um, take that one back right to the CEO. Yeah. I like Zipiac. See what they said. Zipiac. <laughs> like... This is considered IP, I think. I think it is. Well, I'll have to get Attorney Chow on that. I probably asked you guys not to get me in trouble. (laughs) Oh, I forgot. That that was the one rule. Julia, I think you have a a really interesting thought in that there are so many interwoven pieces to transportation. But like this intersection of how all these things come together, right? So one of the things that Seth and I have talked a lot about and that some of our other guests have talked about is that in development, which, you know, as, as being real estate centric, we've spent a lot of time talking about. And, you know, it, it's mind blowing that a lot of communities still require certain amounts of parking spaces per unit. Almost all of them. For a developer yeah. to build. Well, thankfully, the lovely city of Lynn got rid of parking requirements in the central business district. And the city of Cambridge. And Cambridge, yeah. right. Yeah. And Cambridge, yeah. too. So, parking maximum instead of a minimum. Correct. Flips the whole system on yeah, its head. Flip, you know, one of the, <laughs> sorry to cut you off, one of the one of the things that stuck with me for years, and I don't know when you wrote it or said it somewhere, but I remember very vividly that you were of the opinion through several studies, and, you know, clearly you're infinitely more knowledgeable about transportation than, than I've ever been or will be, but you specifically said when you build stuff and you require parking, what people do is get more cars. And I remember that like so vividly in my head. It was like three years ago, all about zoning and parking requirement spaces. And so, you know, I try and follow some of the Winthrop zoning uh, projects and so much of the contention is always related to parking. You need to require X many park spaces like the project on Winthrop Shore Drive. 
I don't know if you're a proponent or against it or not. I just remember the whole project being repositioned, repositioned so many times and repitched. With all. offshore drive. Yeah, project? there's there's um there's a I, I think that kind of fizzled out. I it did. Heard. Okay. It did. Yeah. Yeah, because of parking. Correct. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, that's kind of is a big killer. Um, yeah. of Development. Which is so, and a killer of cities. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and it's the antithesis. Yeah. of affordable housing, yeah. right? Like well, we are a, making it more difficult for people to build housing when we are in a housing crisis. Of a walkable quaint seaside yeah. community every time we require more space for cars, we kill that character. Yeah. Um, but we're doing it out of fear and it, there's a strong emotional response to why we think we need all this parking because we're so afraid of cars inundating our community. Mm-hmm. So we want to create more space for people oh, to Oh, I don't think it's that cars. at all. Oh, I think it's that people are... Concerned well, that people, people. they don't want more people. Yeah. Well, there's they, that. They're, they don't I'm want to get the people. Both sides of yeah, it. no, they you don't. could dig into that and who are the people and where do they come from? We don't know them. Uh, there's a lot of like fear. It's really yeah. rooted in fear of change, fear of what we don't know. Not to harp on the Shore Drive project, but that building was well, reflective of other projects. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a dilapidated multifamily yeah. that, uh, I mean, I've personally been in that property. It, it's it's in such poor condition. And someone brought through a, a beautiful rendering of, I think, at what was a 12-unit building. And sure, there's, like, I have clients who are immediate abutters, and, like, they're not happy about that project. And it is what it is. But anything would be significantly better than what it is there now. And unfortunately, due to parking, the whole project's dead, and instead it's a slum, a slum property. You well, know? couldn't a shared... Car solution be so, the be the well, answer. Like, couldn't a zip car four spots what a for a zip car no, no be a solution? So it's it's very interesting. I went through a, a redevelopment project recently where part of what we built into the the draft condo budget yep. was to, let's purchase and put two. You know, I don't know how you do it, but like you put, you could tell me you could put two zip cars here. That's right, and let it be part of the condominium fee where people you know take them as they see fit, and yeah, therefore that's potentially exactly right. it'd be great. And yeah. I think it's very futuristic to think that way. And it's just you know it's interesting. So that's part of the reason why I was so curious to speak with you finally, and and just hear so much more about that and how biking affects everything. It's I find it fascinating, and I think I actually completely agree with you. I think yeah. when you when you require parking, you stifle development. Yeah, I mean, and it's expensive for developers very. too. Back to like our goals of building affordable housing. Uh, I don't know what the numbers are around here, but when we look at across the country, developers tell us it costs about fifty grand to build a parking spot, and those are that's well, about that, right. that space that could be better given to building more housing. Well, and are we meet our affordability goals? Are we housing cars or are we right. housing people? That's and right. you say, well, we need to house both. Do, Do we, we or don't we? It depends yeah. on a lot of things, yeah. right? And the the more you are located in a place where people have options and build in a way that people don't need a car or That's to right. drive that car everywhere they go, even That's if right. that there's room for the car, but there's also a great, you know, grocery store down the street, or you can walk to work. There's a, there's a bus that's right frequently frequent, or there's a zip car, That's there's right. a bike share. People say, oh, okay, I can live there and not need that car at yeah. all or not need to drive it all the time or not need two cars like every little yeah. bit chips away at that notion yep. and really the number one and this is there's so many studies to back this up i used to work with employers on transportation tdm it's called demand management the number one reason people decide to drive to work is if they have parking yeah and if that parking's free mm-hmm. the, the price point is huge so and this applies to residential developments as well. You know, do the developers need to provide the parking number one and do they need to provide it for free? Mm-hmm. Because that free parking is an invitation to say, please live here, bring your car, 
we'll pay for it. We'll subsidize it. Well, we'll actually build it into your rent. Right. And then that drives up the cost because that, that real estate costs something. Sure. I mean, parking is real estate, let's face it. And That's we're right. storing private vehicles on the street. Like there, this goes into a lot of realms yeah. of street mm-hmm. parking. But as far as um, development, it can kill the character of the development. It can kill the price yeah. and the affordability of the development. And then it invites more cars. And you get that congestion that people were so afraid of to begin with and why they wanted you to build all that parking. Yep, that's right. And we do a ton of work with developers, not just here in the Boston area, but across the country. And, you know, they're eager to work with us for a lot of different reasons, but in, in large part because policymakers are asking them to, right? Uh, to exactly, to Julia's point, to avoid building parking and avoid adu- inducing that demand to bring cars with them. It's also a great amenity demand, too, yes. you know, because yeah. there's so many, you know, folks of a millennial generation or Gen Z that don't want to own a car. I mean, we were talking about this earlier. Not only is an incredibly underutilized asset, a car sits idle 96% of the time. Yeah. And for most people, it's the second most expensive thing that they own outside of their home, right? So if you're only using it occasionally and you're in a take. dense <laughs> environment, right, like where you have access to I'm actually going to sell my car right now. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> How, think of, I guess you're great dealing with a zip car membership. Like, no. what are you going to do with that money? Yeah, that that's you were a, that's an incredible car. stat. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so... I think we, we see a ton of partnerships from developers. Uh, and again, like for uh, for their benefit, they're getting lead credits for it too. Yeah. If environmental sustainability is a goal and being able to attractively market an amenity uh, to residents in addition to satisfying a lot of policy goals. On the political end, because we started to talk about that a little bit, you know, having a partnership with organizations like Zipcar, maybe other TDM or transportation demand management programs like buying new residence passes for the MBTA yeah. or supporting local bike share yeah. are all also very attractive to local residents in the development approval process. Cause it helps people understand that maybe the new folks that are moving into this building actually don't need to own a car, especially if we're helping it make it easier for them right. to get around without. And one. that can be a selling point or not, depending on the, the population, but you could say, That's Hey, right. this is an opportunity to welcome new people to our community. Who, what kind of people do we want those to be? Do we want to market to people who want to own lots of cars and drive everywhere? Or do we want this to be a place where we bring in some people who might like a very walkable lifestyle and might like to not own a car or just do a Zipcar membership? Because the way that it's built and marketed and priced impacts all of those things. As you know, as a realtor, you know, when you're writing the description, it's all about like access, access, location, location, right. and walk to work, you know, yeah. grab the bus, ditch your car, mm-hmm. save money, all these ways. And the tide is turning on that. Um, yeah. It, it certainly is. And, and I know Justin was talking a little bit about this before we started, and I'd love to hear your, your take on this, Julia, is that during the pandemic, right, people, and I talk a lot about this, something I'm very wow. Uh, wow. passionate about. <laughs> I'm wow. also very passionate about that topic. Yeah. <laughs> is that, you know, as we saw the pandemic strike and a lot of employers shifted the employment model, right? And we see a lot of people move out of the core downtown areas. They're going to more remote areas uh, because now they can... Cheaper real estate. Cheaper real estate. Yeah. They, they don't have to be in the office. Mm-hmm. They can work remotely. What were the impacts on that, on transportation? And what are the impacts of, as we've seen this sort of migration of younger folks that don't need to be near the office as much, sort of flee cities? You know, what, what, what impact is that having on transportation? I don't have the impression that people are fleeing cities. At this point, I mean, the down because of like the downtown daytime work population has definitely gone down. Um, the work at home certainly has skyrocketed. Um, but I think what's been interesting from it is that people have taken a look more at where they 
where they are rather than where they commute to because of the work at home mm. experience has like, sorry, this isn't directly answering that question. No, that's okay. But no, that's good. even for me, you know, I live in Winthrop and every day I'd be in downtown Boston. Okay. And I just come home to Winthrop, but then I'm working in Winthrop every day. Well, where do I go to lunch here? Where's, what do I do on my breaks here? Where's the nearest, you know, little place to meet someone for coffee? Cause I'm living there and it made, has made people look more at, the value of a walkable community, of being able to access things in a short walk, which comes down to zoning, which comes down to, you know, the the urban landscape um, of that community. But you were asking about people. I don't I don't have a good sense of if people are suddenly commuting more to the suburbs. Um, or, or are they not commuting in Boston but driving around the suburbs more? So, like, if yeah. you live in Wellesley and you're not driving to Boston anymore, you're driving at your lunch break instead of walking to the sandwich shop, are you getting in your car and driving? Are you walking to your refrigerator? Like I've noticed in the suburbs during the later in the day and earlier in the morning, traffic's much worse um, than it ever was. And I don't think it's as bad getting into the city in the downtown. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, those are typically white collar workers that have access to a vehicle Mm -hmm. and that could have driven and maybe did drive anyway into Boston. Now they don't have to. So they're not paying for the parking or their employer was probably subsidizing the parking. That's why they were driving. Um, So yeah, I don't, I don't have a good pulse point on what's happening in the suburbs as much as in the city, because the biggest thing we saw during the pandemic, we said, Oh, everybody was working at home. Well, a lot of people weren't. And who were those people and how were they getting around? And this is the equity piece of it. They were essential workers or bus dependent folks. And they were getting around on the bus, you know, ridership on the bus was the most resilient. And some of the buses like Mm. the 111 through Chelsea, it never went down below 65% of base ridership even in the peak of the pandemic, because those are the people who had to keep going to work. And it suddenly shined a spotlight on the role, not just of transit, because it was, it was down on the subways too, or sorry, resilient on the subways, but more so on the bus, astronomically more so on the bus. That's where people were still needing to move. And so the T was able to shuffle buses around based on the ones that had more ridership, like instead of the one bus that serves sort of the universities, let's look at the 109, let's look at the 111, the 28 bus where we have, you know, these are equity populations of transit dependent folks that needed to keep going to work to the hospitals and to the only place, the only way that they could get to the store to get food or to go to the doctor's appointments. So if equity is the goal, the bus is the delivery of that goal. And Justin, what what was Zipcar's experience sort of during the, the pandemic with user and, and use of the product? Yeah, I would say in the early days of the pandemic, perhaps, obviously, most people were staying home, right? Sure. I think that was my experience. I'm sure many of our experiences. What we found uh, was a lot of the initial, again, in the first couple months of the pandemic, some of the leisure use cases for us where people go out of the city and go hang out with other people, right? Like that stopped Stopped, for a while. What happened though for us is that summer, what we saw was this astronomical rise in demand for not just folks that were uh, like pent up at home for a long time and finally felt comfortable being back out in the world, but some folks who felt like Zipcar and using access to a car, having access to a car 
was a better option for them. People yeah. didn't want to get on a plane. People didn't want to get right. on regional rail. People right. didn't want to get on the bus. They were probably scared. And they yeah, were scared. And rightfully so. And rightfully so, because it was an incredibly uncertain time. Know. So <laughs> what we saw was this incredible rise in wow. demand. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, the pandemic was a global tragedy. We, as a, as a brand, as a business, I think, saw an opportunity to capture some of that demand and convince people that yeah. sharing a car rather than owning one was was a good lifestyle. Right. And so yeah, we awesome. benefited from yeah, that. Yeah, we, we have offices in China. And they were always uh, a few months ahead of us in the pandemic, um, especially from the beginning. And the numbers were always striking that the biggest trend in transportation was uh, solitary modes. Sure. So that could be, yes, buying a car, right. but also a bike. There was a yeah. global bike shortage mm-hmm. and wanting to walk more. People just didn't want to be with other people. And so there's this huge spike in bike share and bike purchasing and in wanting to walk and walking to work and in driving and in buying what, vehicles. What a great segue to bike lanes. Yeah, so so tell, us, tell us why bike lanes are important. Well, they're not always the solution, uh, just to put that out there. The solution is always safety. Yeah. And you're, yeah. if you have a bike in a car, the, the car is always going to win. Always. A stripe of paint is never going to save your life. It does make that option more appealing. A protected bike lane is always the solution or a pathway, that, physical separation, basically. Sure. But why are bike lanes important? The same way that sidewalks are important. The same yeah. way that bus lanes are important. The same way that tracks for trains are important. That it's So we look at the way our streets are designed and the way that space is allocated is a reflection of our priorities, of how we want people to move, of what types of mobility patterns we value and encourage. And when you have a wide street that just has space for cars, we're saying fill, this is a place it. to drive. Drive quickly because it's wide. There's not a lot of distractions, no crosswalks, oh, I love you it. know, no curves, no tree. <laughs> Even street parking is a great traffic calming, you know. Sorry, I'm getting onto another topic. Yeah, but that's when okay. Suddenly, you stripe a paint, a stripe a paint that has a picture of a bike. This is a bike lane. Oh, you know, there's this natural inclination. As a driver, like, oh, I'm space is being taken away from me. Yeah. Is it? It's less space. Did the car need all that space? Sometimes, sometimes not. You narrow a lane, you slow people down, you create space for the bike. Is it safe space? Safer than not a paint, but not safe. You know, a bike lane is like a step up from a Shero, which in Winthrop we have Shero. What's, what's a Shero? It's wildly misunderstood. It's literally just a stencil of a bike slapped on the street to oh, say, yeah. You hey, can ride it here. Hey, drive, bikes are here. Watch out. It looks oh, that's not just, a bike lane? No, no, no. Arrow. Like people say, why aren't the bikes Shero, in the Shero? We don't follow the Shero. It's just a cue for drivers. It's more for drivers than for bikers. For bikers, say, oh, I'm, I'm recognized here. But it does spark a lot of feelings and big feelings. And some of those feelings are about space. Like, oh, I don't want to share. As a car driver, I feel entitled to this, which is sort of an, a falsified notion that streets are only for cars because they didn't start that way. Right. Streets were for commerce. They were for people. Mm-hmm. And the shared streets concept is that streets are not just for cars. Cars belong there, but not only cars. We generally approach our streets with cars at the top. Most important user, cars. We accommodate you, your needs, your interests, most of all. The person on foot is at the very bottom. Right. Um, you or the bike, often the bike, because you're yeah. kind of just oh, the, the bike is below. The you can't foot. go on the sidewalk. <laughs> you can't go on the street. It's like where do we belong? And you create space. Then there's actually more of a sense of order, and you don't have the like zipping and the annoying stuff that drivers like. Oh, I hate hate it too when there's people on bikes zipping in front of me or oh, speeding through lights. It. But the the system's not designed for them. So right. when you put in a lane and even signals that speak to bikes, you have a system that works for multiple modes. Because a person in a bike 
behaves differently than a person in a car. The same person. Most cyclists are also drivers, I should point sure, out. Yeah. A lot are not. For some people, it's literally the only way they can afford to get around, and they should have that ability, and it should be safe, and they shouldn't risk their lives to do it. So it's a symbolic gesture. It, it's, it's progress. Tan- it's we tangible. Call it progress. I mean, oh, it's, it's tangible, too. And yeah. there's ways to make bike lanes safer than, like... Cones. Yeah. You can yeah, put, well, like, ba- cones. physical barriers. Yeah. Flex yeah. posts. Yeah. Also, yeah. like, at grade with the sidewalk is a great way to do it because then you're not even mixing with the cars at all. Or moving, like, Somerville and other communities have done where you move the parking closer to the cars and the bike lane is along the sidewalk. Yeah. Um, so the person getting Super out of the safe. car needs to look where they're going rather than the person on the bike who's going to get doored. Yeah, you yeah. know, you're in the door zone sometimes. So who's liable when you hit, when the biker hits your door? The, the biker or the car? The car Do we driver. have a lawyer on this? Oh, no, no, no. So I'm parked. Uh-huh. I open my door. It's your fault. It's yeah. my it, fault. Even open it. What if the door's open? If the door is already open? Yeah. And I ride my bike into it? Yeah. On purpose? Well, I don't know. I mean, do you, are you hurt? <laughs> Did it let's, say I'm, let's say I'm not hurt. <laughs> I mean, the cyclist will probably be hurt, but the car yeah. driver is just like, hey, that was that was yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm offended. Do you do this a lot? I mean, People, once or twice I may it have been like, yelled at by a biker for opening my door without looking. What well, if you're a pedestrian? Yeah, you what if you're look. a pedestrian <laughs> yeah. crossing a bike yeah. lane? You need to look. Y- yield to the bike. Yeah. yeah. Why don't we get rid of the yeah. bikes? <laughs> Well, we've already talked about this. I'm pretty sure. I almost got smoked <laughs> by a bike in Manhattan one day. By a bike, yeah. yeah well, because in Manhattan, yeah, you have the sidewalk, oh, the yeah. cycle track, and then the parking. Right. So you have to cross the cycle track. Even some for the outdoor dining, yeah. they like waitresses have to like cross the cycle track to get to these um, pop up uh, outdoor. And dining, those Manhattan bikers parklets. do not mess around. They fly. Yeah, but so do like people in sports cars. Like it's still human beings driving driving like a smaller vehicle that's less dangerous to you as a human being. You put them in a big like monster truck and suddenly you're you're like death on wheels to a pedestrian. No, seriously, like SUVs, like we just passed legislation to require trucks to have guards on them because usually the reason people die by a truck. You get sucked under. Like uh, in the front, you mean? Yeah, or, truck or guards. So there's the big, like, big semi. In the middle between the yeah, two. Yeah, other wheels. countries oh. require truck guards. We oh, didn't until just now. It's part of this new act to um, reduce traffic fatalities. Seems oh. so basic, but it's just about respecting people even when they're not in a vehicle, which mm. our current infrastructure doesn't tend to do. And get into your question, a bike lane is one of the ways to So do what about that. in snow? Do they plow the bike lane? In Boston, yeah. Yep. There's a lot. Of, there's actually um, snow plows just for bike lanes and sidewalks. Mm-hmm. Montreal's got them. A lot of really snowy cities do them. And it's another way of legitimizing biking as yeah. part of that ecosystem of mobility and yeah. making it, legitimizing it. Yeah. You're not okay. like a freak fringe person if you ride a yeah. bike and go take your life into your own hands. And that's encourages it to be more bold and annoying, quite frankly, because you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to plow forward. And, and that's, you kind of get what you build for. Like yeah. with Do you have to get a special outfit for like winter biking? <sighs> winter biking is just be smart. I mean, yes, winter is like if you're walking, it seems aggressive. same thing, like skiing. You need a special yeah. outfit yeah. to ski and snowboard, right? Yeah, you like, do. No, no such thing as bad <laughs> weather, only work, bad clothing. Yeah, I mean, biking to work, I bike in a dress, in heels. Like, biking to me is transportation. Right. Or for fun, that's another thing. But usually it's just like, I need to get from point A to point B, and bike share makes that possible. Same, same notion that's as right. car share. Yep. So can you talk, this is very interesting, we're deep into biking, which I feel like Brennan's very against, which... For the record, I'm a biker. You're just instigating. No, I believe I view 
You're trying to phrase this so you're not a bike hater. What is it about bike lanes you don't like? Let's just they take away from cars. They take away from cars. <laughs> they but take what away about parking. When, they yeah. uh, like they create more traffic. So oh, <laughs> that's actually very are false. Like the lanes. <laughs> so no, I'm gonna stop you on that. In they downtown Lynn, downtown Lynn, where nobody bikes, there's no biking in downtown Lynn. But why they took they away bike? all the lanes? And they, they, what used to be three lanes is now like one lane. The common That's bike. for the bus lane, yeah. isn't it? No, it's for bikes. A bike lane wouldn't need two lanes of traffic. Well, they're trying to make it more commutable by bike. Have you seen anybody commute on a bike? But you have to. But it hasn't been safe or pleasant. Yeah, you have to. You have to create the infrastructure to allow. If you build it, they will come. That's a base notion of planning. Like you get what you build. You build for cars and traffic. You get cars and traffic. You build for people and places. You build. You get people and places. I love the thought of it. I love the thought of it. Are you sure? I mean, you're for other people. You're a hater. You can still drive your car. Yeah, like the, I'm always in drive. Remember, no like you can't taking drive away your car. car. Yeah, exactly. But like in downtown, don't drive your car. If you drive your car downtown, don't drive fast. If you drive That's your right. car downtown, yeah. you got to pay for parking. It's going to be expensive. And if or don't someone, drive your car. Here's some other options. That's right. I'm okay with it being expensive. Like I, I think they should raise the prices on everything to defer people from, from using it. Mm-hmm. And if you're, you know. I mean, that doesn't really get into the equity argument of this, which I'm also very interested in into the equity piece Mm -hmm. of this because I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it. Um, So can you touch a little bit about the the equity piece of transportation? I mean, I'm happy to kick it off. I mean, I know there was a Harvard study done a bunch of years ago now that is probably dated, but I think still accurate, which basically shows that transportation is the number one barrier to upward social mobility for people, right? Like people's access to jobs, people's access to where they live, people's access to where they go to school is all highly dependent on the transportation they have access to. Household expense after housing is number one. exactly right. And we talked about that a minute ago, right? And so I think providing transportation options that are reliable, convenient, comfortable for people as has incredibly direct, not just climate impacts and affordability impacts, we talked about that, but direct impacts on making life, again, like more, uh, promoting more social mobility and social equity. Um, I think there's been a ton of studies that are Mm. done on that, um, for sure. And, you know, I think back to Julia's point, I think providing people with options is the key, right? We're not necessarily saying we want to take options away from people, um, but it's providing them with options that are more convenient, more safe, more reliable, so that people can choose the right mode for the right trip. You know, the vast majority of trips, particularly in a big city, are only a couple of miles. Right. If you're someone who just simply believes in efficiency, is it the most right. efficient no. mode to take a two-ton vehicle with one single passenger where you can fit seven? And then store it? Well, the government gives around. you a, a tax benefit if it's more than six tons. <laughs> so, you know, two tons is really... I don't know that I, who gets in a two-ton car. A I mean, your car's pretty big. <laughs> yeah. Most zip cars a, are probably uh, in that category. In the two-ton? No. Three? Or we're small. small. Yeah, they're smaller. Yeah, they're small. Yeah. And, are you making fun of zip cars now, too? <laughs> no. You hate bikes and... No, I'm just kidding. No, I love zip cars. Zip car came about before zip there car, was bike share. Yeah. You know, the bike share model That's really exactly matched right. uh, yeah. the zip car model. And it was, it was contentious for us as advocates at one point having, you know, Uber and Lyft and even zip car in the room in mm-hmm. these mobility conversations because we were focused on transit and biking and walking. Right. Like, these are car people. But we're looking at the whole mobility ecosystem and 
things like sharing that, oh, that gives someone a reason to not own a car, to take fewer trips. It's all about just like chipping away. Mm -hmm. There's not this like silver bullet solution to every, we're not going to give up our cars. No one's going to drive. And there's the impression that's what we're trying to say. It's not it. We're just trying to build out the menu of options. That's exactly right. So that we're solving for the lowest common denominator to get to the equity piece. And that lowest common denominator is someone for whom driving a car is not an option, whether they can't afford it or physically they can't do it. So what are the best solutions for, you know, the equity piece where, where we're looking at a menu and we want to add items to that menu, right? So in a, in a, in a neighborhood that isn't highly accessible, you know, what are, what are the transportation solutions that can be added? Building for the lowest common denominator, flipping that paradigm on its head so you have the human on foot at the top and the car at the bottom, you will inevitably solve it. Solve for everyone. If you build the city for mm. the 8 to the 80-year-old, right? There's this 80-80 initiative, cities for the youngest to the oldest, you get everyone in between. So what's the easiest way for towns that uh, <laughs> you know are either as dense, less dense, that maybe have like for some strange reason Winthrop like some streets don't have sidewalks at all yeah. fun fact my street like, it's the weirdest part of it Morton street yeah yeah, yeah it's so yeah. weird right history like, to that yeah. yeah so like and uh you know it's it's obviously tough to get around whether it's by foot or by bike if you don't have a, at least minimally a sidewalk so how does how do towns like Winthrop for instance start on that journey which I know you're uh, really a part of at the end of the day it's always political because it comes to changing our built environment and who has access to what. And that changes the power structure, and that's very threatening. Yeah. Um, and in places where things don't change often, like Winthrop, things have been the way they've been for a long time. It's particularly jarring. Yeah. Um, and I would say in Somerville, that didn't happen overnight. I mean, Somerville's, like Winthrop, very densely populated, has a pretty good bone structure of streets because it was a streetcar suburb like Somerville was built on the streetcars with these long arterials and little grid streets to connect so people live in the triple deckers walk either direction and you get the streetcar boom always running like that was the history of Somerville so it was built that way they ripped out the streetcars kind of tried to compete with the suburbs built some built some strip malls built I-93 huge mistake demolished neighborhoods kind of went on that road of urban renewal that just desecrated our communities and had enormous you know social equity implications but through strong political leadership honestly Mayor Joe Curtatoni led the charge on that for many years started to reverse that damage and looked at how our streets function and how zoning ties into our streets. So we have the streets that can accommodate the movement of people, not the movement of cars. And that's another sort of buzzword in the transportation world. And actually Charlie Baker's own uh, future transportation commission that he put together in Mm -hmm. 2017 said, we need to focus on moving more people and fewer vehicles. As long as they're not on the water. (laughs) Oh, well, no, that's a lot of people in one vehicle, though, right? Unless but you have your... He hated the water zip, yeah. ferries. Oh, well, that's not... Yeah, yeah that's not a Somerville thing, but, you know, they redid their... It was a ch- their, anti-Charlie Baker thing. <laughs> but there was a lot of um, opposition in Somerville, too. I mm-hmm. mean, when they wanted to redo Beacon Street and put in a cycle track, um, or Somerville Lab, people would say, just do it on the other street. Why this one? We don't yep. want bikes. We don't want this. Same exact argument, same exact culture clash of the new Somerville and the old Somerville and the townies versus the the hipsters, you know, and um, it's not been easy and gentrification and displacement have taken an enormous toll on Somerville. They haven't done everything right, but they've worked their butts off to try to prevent a lot of those dangerous 
consequences yeah. of just letting development run wild with no limits. <clears throat> the market will always cater to the top. Right. The mm. only thing they can solve for that is government or the third sector. I would um, add, I think, I think you're hundred percent right that a lot of it comes down to some form of either political will or yeah. political courage. Yes, I think the 100%. other thing that we've seen an awful lot in transportation, and I learned a lot in my time in government is there's a lot of opportunities for experimentation too, especially yeah. when it comes to transportation. We've yeah. seen that in this region, yeah. right? It doesn't Pilots. actually cost a lot to pilot a dedicated bus lane, right? It actually doesn't cost a lot to test a dedicated bike lane. Got some right? cones? You got some cones, yeah. you got, you know, some lane striping, the cost of paint. Yeah. Some of these things you can test and you know what, if they don't work, you can turn them back. And if they do, they have a way of sticking, right? And I think sometimes we see that in government where people have mm -hmm. the courage. Yeah, government's um, willing to Take it over us just to try it. That's Kinda exactly like, right. We're and piloting. I, this is part of our public process is this pilot. Everett was famous for doing that. And I think political leaders understand that like there, there is openness and willingness mm -hmm. to do experiments, right? Uh, and pilots that if they don't work, you know, it's... Change it. Always do change something it. different. That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, it's a good that's way to exactly sort of right. nudge the needle towards change without it feeling like an assault. That's right. Which it can. And I understand that. And it's hard to solve for that. So, Julia, an interesting thing you were talking about is how transportation impacts our health, right? So, is there a push for electrification of bus, right? It sounds oh, like yeah. bus is Huge. an easy, yes. low-hanging fruit to add, not as expensive as transportation. Uh, like, I don't know if it's easy. I wouldn't call it low-hanging fruit, but... <laughs> wow, I would have thought it would be easier than the Green Line to Somerville. But, oh, uh, yeah, well, to build out bus infrastructure, yeah, way sure. easier than right. rail. Yeah, that's why BRT is... We are such proponents What's BRT? Of, sorry, bus rapid transit. Okay. So that's buses that run in a dedicated right-of-way with all the features you think of with subway. Like the Silver Line. Kind of. The Silver Line has some elements of bus rapid transit. The the SL3 to Chelsea most resembles it because it runs in a dedicated right-of-way, doesn't ever encounter vehicular right. traffic. Bus is absolutely low-hanging fruit when it comes to sustainability and equity and quicker in addition, projects. Because right? we don't need to build tracks, right? right? BRT is, we say, like everything but the choo-choo. It's expensive, <laughs> it's infrastructure, but yeah. you've got plap, you know, a gold standard BRT, which my organization, IGDP, has like a scorecard, kind of like lead for green buildings. We have the, the BRT standard for bus rapid transit. So cities aren't saying, look, we painted a line and said bus lane. It's BRT. No, that's bus priority, which is ex important. But BRT is like cream of the crop. It runs down the center of the road. We have it right. actually in on Columbus Ave in Boston. was our first center running bus. So when you have the bus running in the middle of the road, you don't encounter the conflict of the Except curb. on Sundays, right? When no, the, no. When the church parking? Right. They oh, didn't people used to parking. park in the middle of the street. Oh, yeah, that's where you used if to you park. Don't know. Maybe Years in some ago. parts. So yes. you have to solve for that. And that's but I think that's process. gone now because it's a dedicated bus lane. Yes. <laughs> and, and I think that as we, you know, you and I talk a lot about development and, and yeah. how, and I think you keep touching on it, and it's just no matter where we go, it all comes back to, you know, this equity piece is all about finding people a dignified place to live yeah. where they can get to work and be healthy and have right. access to the things that will make their families better. That's right? right. In Jobs. my mind, like some of the, 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 the steps that we're taking in the effort to do that in some ways are, are hindering other aspects of the, of the equity piece. Right. So like when we say we want to have affordable housing and we're going to add all these restrictions to development, we're, we're making we're housing, Yes. more expensive mm -hmm. and we're sabotaging mm -hmm. the mission yeah. and when we try to get better transportation we want to you know everybody's mind automatically starts at the gold standard which is probably rapid train transportation i would assume 
Yeah, we've, we've tried be, to shift that with our BRT talk, and that's been hard because we think of buses as like the lowest mm. tier of transportation. But well, so come out to the suburbs, right? Like, like, nobody even, like, I can't, yeah. I don't know anybody that's do. ridden on a bus. A lot of people, people do. do. They're the, the low income. So my business partner is essential uh, workers. Right. Yeah. My, my business partner, when we he was on our, our last one, said that he, when he was a lobbyist, before he was, you know, focused on practicing law, he used to take the bus and I almost died. I was like, what? You did not. It, 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 he was 100% serious. He, he would walk out to the end of his street and get on that bus. You know, and that was mind-blowing to me because yeah. he lives in, in a suburban part of a city. It was probably not a very frequent bus. And, That's right. You know, yeah. The, yeah, so doing little things that make more people make that choice. It's sort of on us as planners. Mm-hmm. Um you need a PR campaign. Well, like, what's the PR for marketing? Bus? Is oh, huge. We actually run an initiative called yep. the Boston BRT Initiative, and our team is made up of PR and branding professionals. And that is the initiative. Check out bostonbrt.org. It's really all about just exploring. Could we have BRT? If so, where? Testing it out, like the pilots um, mentioned that Justin mentioned. Like, let's just see. Let's mm. put down some cones and see what happens if right. we give the bus its own lane in the but morning. And then, and then marketing it, doing things like um, flower bombs. We've done it a few bus stops and. Everett in Arlington where you've decked out a bus shelter in flowers to make it like you could have a wedding under this bus shelter and instead of people being like oh the bus like ooh, the bus you know and taking beautiful pictures we did one in the winter with candy canes and hot chocolate and the mayor was out there talking about the importance of the bus and ultimately making buses sexy is what you've got to do to make people want to ride it not because they have to which a lot of people have to. So mm-hmm. starting with them, mm-hmm. they should have a better experience. But making, helping other people to make that choice, making it a good, rational choice, because people are right. like to be rational and make the best choice. Yeah, have, there's a lot of technology investment that's happening, yeah. particularly in like more suburban communities that might think about tr- taking the traditional fixed bus that comes once every 30 minutes and really flipping that on its head, right? Like with on-demand solutions mm-hmm. where someone might have an app that yeah. the bus, instead of yeah, having technology. a fixed route might route to go pick you up where you are. So something that looks a little bit more like a big form factor, similar to a bus, but operates a little bit more like an Uber and Lyft that's publicly sponsored. There's a, there's yeah. a company there's here in Massachusetts is doing that, the routing company and, and others that are around the world, right? And so I think there's a lot of technology innovation that's trying to design even better products than we have in the market today. Disruptive technology. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That might serve those types of use cases, but still require a heavy amount of government support and government subsidy, just like transit does today. Yeah, we talked uh, last week specifically about some privately funded shuttles, you know, that some developments have done yeah. an effort like to... the cur- Encore. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. But, just, you know... Yeah, they, have de- mount, they have water transportation. At yeah. the I, I know they do. You they can, have so you many can, boats. You can play roulette so one. fast. Yeah, the, um, the Winter Ferry was under discussions for that because it can get under the bridge because mm-hmm. it's a low, the vessel. It's a unique yeah. vessel. <laughs> it was just interesting how, like, some unique developments have gone out of their way to create um, a, a better path of least resistance for transportation. Very interesting. Well, yeah, like those places on Revere Beach down yep. at the end. Uh, yep. Beach House has its own shuttle to the T-stop, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, so they, they do. And I think that that's mm. really interesting. And the seaport where our office is, they run their own employee shuttle service yeah. right. that I think uh, knits together about 17 different employers maybe in the oh, seaport. Oh, they're sharing. Uh, in a, in a what about gondolas? Oh, gosh. Oh, God. They <laughs> seem awesome. Why don't we do those? They're so great for mountains. <laughs> um, going up hills, places Skiing. where the streets don't work. 
it's better. So no gondola. gondola. No gondola. I mean, it is so expensive. Also, and so think cool. about think about the weather, and they break down a lot. Oh, and then the, then they're they not. The weather. They have to cross the channel. It's just then we're not utilizing our best asset of public space, mm-hmm. which is the street. My mind yeah. is blown. Streets are fun, right? Yeah. So I'm all Super about reimagining fun. streets, yeah. and it freaks people out. Like streets aren't for people; they're they're for cars. Why would you encourage people to get on the street? We got to change our notion of what a street is and, and how luckily, a street works. I think during the pandemic, we started to see a lot yeah. of new usage pop exactly. up for streets, yeah. right? Yeah. Like we've seen an explosion of outdoor dining. I mean, even yeah. here up in the more suburban environments, right? Mm. Like where, oh, you're not a fan of that either. Oh my god, see. you don't like because <laughs> it takes because it takes it takes more it takes space away his from God away all the valets right <laughs> to free parking, <laughs> so you can't valet in the north. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that restaurant owner there. Like one person could well, park they, their car, or ten people could buy dinner made them pay 10 grand to get that park it wasn't that much it was a lot they're making a lot of money on that public space well it's it is funny how it forced it to happen in winthrop which we just never really saw before which is great people think outside the box of like these streets are just sitting here this incredible public asset that we have right Right. like sidewalks and streets that don't have to be for storage right and again as we've established personal vehicles sit idle 96 percent of the time so they're stored and we give it away assets for free. That are often given away for free. A right? private yeah. property, which is your vehicle. That's you can exactly put right. it on the street, public space, at no cost. In most places, Well, isn't it like threat. $25 or $30 for a parking permit? Um, it's different in every yeah, city, every but that different. certainly doesn't Boston, cover the cost free. of storing They're free in Boston? Yeah. Yes. It's wild. Resident parking oh. is yeah. free. Are you guys I just can't pe- believe it. Pe- petitioning for that? <laughs> I mean, pricing is what changes human behavior. Yeah, it does. Right? Like, it's... I was intrigued by the discussion of, like, the differences between Winthrop and Somerville, right? So Somerville has had a very progressive look at incorporating alternate transportation and, and the view of the street and, and development generally. As a multimodal. Multimodal alternate view. Implies that anything that's not driving is alternative. Kind of tried to move Language. away from that. Yeah, semantics matter, Lang- right? Language matter. Yeah. PR. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it I'm not the there yet. I'm yeah. trying. <laughs> Winthrop versus Somerville, right? So Somerville had a lot of great infrastructure in that it already had the red line. That some there, of it. Some of it, right? Not much. So like is there, well, I mean the parts of Somerville that took off first were Davis Square, Porter Square. Oh, East Somerville is much more densely populated actually and it's been a transit desert. That's why the Green Line Extension was an equity project. It's the, mm. you know, East Somerville didn't have any rapid transit access until the Green Line extension, actually. It's pretty inconvenient to live there without a car. And that's why the real estate values were lower there than yep. they were around the train, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, development happened mm-hmm. around the trains. Well, the development was already there, actually. The red line came much later. It wasn't until the 80s. They already had the connectivity of streets. They already had the density. They did have restrictive zoning, just like Winthrop does, and that was a problem. And you were like, lit. I remember as a grad student learning – all, most of Somerville, and this is the same for Winthrop, is illegal yes. today. You could yeah. not like you could not build Winthrop today no, in Winthrop. Would, Winthrop is bar, illegal. It would look it would yeah. look less dense than Nahant. I think. Yeah, it's single family homes, large setbacks, off street parking. You know, it's like we're 
Bill Ricca or something. It was just this sort of cookie cutter model of suburbanism that, t- that it really is ultimately aimed just to curb growth, mm-hmm. to yeah. prevent. But then you have unintended consequences of every project needing to get get an override and right. going to the zoning board of appeals because in concessions for the neighbors and yeah, well you know, either it more kills parking. the project or the developer knows the right person and it's yeah, yeah. it's corrupt and and that's unfortunate yeah. um and and the zoning didn't get to play a role because the zoning didn't work yeah. for the demand and for the existing pattern of the yeah. community so how do you both see zoning impacting transportation that's a big question i mean i think they're incredibly linked together right like we talked about land use and how critical that is to or i should say transportation is really the connector Right. Um, so where people live, where people work, where people go to school, where people hang out with each other is all linked together with transportation options. Right. So if you have zoning restrictions that limit density, as an example, right, you're going to have fewer options that are, at least from my perspective, like uh, easy to sell or market to a dense cluster of people. You're less likely to have more available transportation options. Does that make sense? So the less density that you have, the less likely it is that transportation options are going to be available and sure. accessible to you. And the more likely it is that you're going to need to rely on a personal vehicle uh, because that might be the best mode for you uh, given... In a multimodal solution. I mean, zoning determines land use. It determines what you can build, how much and where. And when we have these you know, single use zoning, you can only build one type of thing and it needs to look the same, you're being very restrictive. So I'm on the planning board and we spent a really long time rezoning the center business district yeah. and speci- explicitly the old middle school. That finally got rezoned. <laughs> it did. And, and that, fairly recently. Oh, no, it's been over over a year, a year and a half and okay, no well. movement. And like I said, everything is political. But the yeah. zoning is there. Previously it was just zoned. I mean, the, zone, the CBD had flexible zoning and we yeah. we zoned the whole thing for maximum flexibility recognizing that this is supposed to be a you know vibrant multitude of uses it already is right in sure. new england town centers have retail and commercial and public space and housing a little bit of everything yeah. and to give to continue that um, we needed to zone it to accommodate that to not say oh if you open a, a restaurant in this existing building you have to have 30 off-street parking spaces Either that would never happen, so it stifles the growth, or you're demolishing buildings and building parking and completely killing the appeal of the center. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, planning boards navigate that and negotiate that. So the, the town center is zoned to, to maximize flexibility. A developer come in, I want to do a community center and 100 units of housing and a public space and um, some office space. It's You can do that. It's the only part yeah. of the town. That By you, right. All right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys might have heard of the MBTA housing zoning sure have. ruling, yeah. which yeah. we talk about briefly because that literally is the the closest thing we have to facilitating that intrinsic connection between how land use and transit. And contrary to the title, it has nothing to do with the T. They're not involved at all. It's just proximity to try, correct. It's giving you the the right to build a certain level of density within half mile of transit, I think the node is of, of a rapid Well, every station. community that is serviced by the MBTA right. in some way has to Including redo their bus. zoning. Correct. Right. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. They have. They have to. Right. They have to create a zone mm-hmm. and get the. I, I. I went deep in a rabbit hole yeah. yesterday. I think on this. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, heads up. Yeah, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> told you to read Commonwealth Magazine. Oh, you did? Yeah, I, yeah, I just read that. That's yeah. great. We publish yeah. in there a lot. Yeah. I, didn't, yeah. I didn't read it. Oh, I well, book, they, I they, they, it. they spent a lot of time dedicated. There, yeah. there were many, many articles. Oh, Anne. Anne, yeah, I said we should reach out to her and invite her. 
if you guys know Ann, put a good word yes. in for us. <laughs> and the right. Boston Indicators. Uh, Boston Common Magazine. I mean, um, Boston the author, the Commonwealth, Commonwealth Magazine. Ann. I forget. Ann has the last name. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll get it to you. We'll get it to you. <laughs> yeah. <And> Bruce Moller. <laughs> but, um, you know, if, if you were, and I'm probably, I don't think skeptic is the word, right? But, like, I have the farthest to come mm-hmm. on evolution and transportation. So what are the what are the best ways for the average person to sort of start to look at this and, and transform their mindset on transportation? Deep. I'm, I'm not sure I'm not dominating. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's a much. very tough one. I mean, I would say a couple things. Similar to anyone who's looking to change their mind, talk to other people who come from diverse and different perspectives than you, right? Uh, you know, I mentioned you asked me that story eight years ago when I joined Zipcar. You know, how did you get to understand, you know, the multimodal lifestyle? I talked to other people. I talked to our members. I talked to yeah. our users. I got a chance to understand how they moved and what their lives were like, Um I did a lot of reading, right? Commonwealth Magazine around here is a great example, right? Like very strong thinkers, very strong writers that are pretty deep in policy topics. So if you have that interest, uh, I think reading, uh, particularly from very well-informed sources, is another great uh, great example. And the, the last thing I would say, maybe to throw a plug in Julia's direction, there are a lot of great organizations in the Massachusetts and Boston area that are incredibly smart, very progressive that host a ton of different events. Livable Streets is a great example of that. Street Talks. Street Talks mm-hmm. is a great event uh, where they have, I think, what, about like 10 different well, that's speakers? That's the 10 and one. That's uh, the 10 and yeah, one. Yeah, we do a I'm lot of Street Talks. Of. Just that's come right. and learn about a new concept. Yeah. And have well, a you beer. can say more about it, but yeah. there are so many great organizations that yeah. think about this. They go to bed at night and wake up in the morning focused on yeah. multimodalism, yeah. transportation, improving transportation yeah. outcomes. Uh, talk to them. Yeah, that's, that's my people. <laughs> I think at the front of all of it is just to come in with a mentality to recognize as hard as it is that the status quo isn't working. The way we've been doing urbanism, building our cities, running transportation, it's broken. It doesn't work. COVID showed us that in a lot of ways because everything stopped. We kind of took a pause and we're like, okay, let's look at this. What is this system? Who is this system working for? Who is it not working for? How are things like the way we lay out our streets, the way that we build, how we build, how is that contributing to the outcome of our lives, of our planet? Let's be honest, we're yep. living in an ex- extreme climate change crisis. Look at California right now. That's connected to an equity crisis, to a congestion crisis. The status quo is broken. And in order so to many fix levels, it, right. we need to be willing to try new things. We need to be willing to get uncomfortable. Yeah. It is uncomfortable to change things and it's not going to feel the way it did. And there's going to be different, I hate to say winners and losers, but the way power is distributed has got to change. And we see that socially, but we also see that in our built environment of who is prioritized and who is not. Same with development. Um, And so it gets, that's when it gets emotional and it gets like, no, say no. But then, whoa, but what we're doing isn't working. Do we want a different outcome? We got to try something different. Interesting. So, so Julia, if you were to look at your, your next 12 months and sort of summarize it as a one single word that, that you look to incorporate oh, I know what she's into your say. life, what would that word be? I'm in a unique phase of life because I, you know, I'm in new motherhood. Again, I have an infant. I'm starting over again after eight and a half years of having, having a baby and look at how does my community work for me as a caregiver of a very vulnerable human being at the very, you know, 
bottom of that paradigm. It, it was, how do we, how can my city work for my baby? Like the most vulnerable, right? And then the people who care for babies and children. Um, so it's kind of flipping my perspective back to that. And I'm looking at ways to create more shared space and make our parks better and, you know, places for kids to play inside. And anyway, this, this does tie into transportation. Um, so I think my word is really about, I hate to say innovate because that's kind of overused, but collaborate mm. um, and reimagine. Awesome. Good. I thought you were going to say multimodal. Oh, that's like inherent. Uh, <laughs> right. that's, that's too wonky. I don't want to be wonky. <laughs> Who does? I thought know? I wasn't. And you guys were like, what did you just say? Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's good. Very cool. Justin, uh, same, same question. Yeah. I would say, you know, a, uh, occupational hazard for me working for a car company are car related puns. Um, so the <laughs> word that comes to mind for me is accelerate. Uh, and I'll tell you why I think the, over the course of the last couple of years, like, you know, we've all seen different challenges, you know, certainly uh, internal at our organization, you know, we're in terms of the pandemic impact, I still think we're in the middle of this story. We're living through an experiment uh, in how people move differently uh, in light of the pandemic, how people work differently in light of the pandemic, how people learn differently in light of the pandemic. So, so much about our world has been upended. I think, for the conversation we're having now about transportation, now is the time to accelerate a lot of the change that we have learned um, over the course of the last couple of years. What works, what doesn't work. To Julia's point, our outcomes, if we look just simply at an outcome basis, they're not meeting our needs, right? Uh, Whether it's social equity, climate, uh, congestion, uh, all the outcomes are not moving in the right direction. We know some of the problems that we need to solve. We even know some of the solutions, right? We talked about BRT. We talked about water transportation. Love water. Transport. We could have talked yeah. more we about it. We could have talked more about water. My point is, you we have know, Lydia on. She's a big on. Yeah, my point is, we have a good understanding of the problems. We have a good uh, bet on where some of the solutions are. It's time to accelerate that change. Yeah, awesome. you make me want to change my word. I'm tired of reimagining. <laughs> We've been reimagining and talking for years. It's time to act. You say, all right, I'm going to say act. You know, I I feel the sense of urgency is there and we need to just do it. This was so enlightening. I am looking forward to changing my perspective on a lot of this. And I am going to reevaluate my relationship with bike lanes. (laughs) So thank you, Julia, for, hop on a bike. That's the best way to experience. What happened to the line bikes? Oh, that's a business model failure. (laughs) He'll he'll get into that. (laughs) They were so cool. I actually know that people think it was like my project or something. Oh yeah, no, no. it was awesome. (laughs) Thank you for having us. Yeah. Yes. This was really great conversation. Cool. Call it. Thanks for listening to The Word Podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could take a minute and leave us a quick review, not only do reviews give us valuable feedback, but every positive review tells the algorithm to push this episode out in front of more people. If you really want to help us out, send this podcast to someone who you think would benefit. Thank you so much, and we hope to see you next time when we talk about The Word.